are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are golden retrievers. Which means Tubi is more popular than using meat-flavored toothpaste. More popular than never figuring out what W-A-L-K spells. More popular than kicking your leg when a human rubs your belly just right. Tubi. It's more popular than golden retrievers. See you in there. Summer. The best time of year usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no heart, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan. Hello, Dan. I'm Lulu. Hello, Lulu. Hello. Happy New Year's. Uh, for those of you who are probably listening to this, uh, going into the next year. It's, it's one year. Happy New Year. That's right. I would say plural. Happy New Year's. Happy New Year. I mean, I hope you have many years. I hope it is many happy, happy New Year's. Happy New Many Years. Uh, <laughs> thanks for making 2021 such a great year, uh, singular, for this podcast. We've had so much fun. We've grown, gotten so many great messages from so many of you. Uh, we look forward to trying to bring you the scariest, you know, freshest, uh, just best paranormal stories that we can find. And, uh, you know, send you in 2022. Mm -hmm. And we hope that you enjoy us bickering with each other. Mm -hmm. We like to give that to you as well. And that's not even planned. It just happens organically. <laughs> yep. It could, it could happen today if you're lucky. Oh, man. I'm feeling feisty. Are you? Are you? Yeah. I feel like we're in a, in a pretty friendly little spot this morning. Oh, I did not think we were. You didn't? For real? No. I, I feel friendly. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm a big fan. I feel irritated. Oh, you didn't do anything. Okay. It's just, you know. It just might happen. It's just we have teenagers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, true, true. <laughs> so actually, it's not you. It's teenagers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no merch announcement for Bad Magic Merch uh, this week for Bad Mag badmagicmerch.com, the store. Uh, plenty of amazing stuff in there. Mm -hmm. But before we get into today's stories, I know that Lulu has a couple announcements for us that she would like to share. I do. I have some things to share. Now, I have like like an update that I want to start with, which mm -hmm. is the most important thing. There have been a lot of messages about the casserole situation, and I want to address this. Seriously? Yes. So many messages. About the tater tot casserole? Yes, because there are so many people that are like, I cannot believe he puts or his mom puts raw meat mm -hmm. and then puts other stuff on top of it and then cooks it. Mm -hmm. A lot of like WTF. But then a lot of other people <laughs> of like, well, actually, like it would cook out. It would be OK. So then there's a lot of like, OK. Lindsay, you have to tell us what the deal is. So I talked to Grandma mm -hmm. Charlene, and Charles says that she has two different casseroles, one in which the meat is cooked first and one huh? in which the meat is not cooked first. So her He-Man, like, a.k.a. Shepherd's Pie, yeah. she cooks the meat first. 
Okay, but that that's the one with like the cheese on top and everything. I that, know that, that one's one. like it's like ground beef. I yeah. mean, technically, because it would be cottage pie, but ground beef, mashed potato, American uh, cheese, uh, uh, some sort of um, ground beef, cream of mushroom. Uh, no, generally speaking, there would not be. It's only cream of mushroom the way your mom makes it. Yeah, but like it would just be ground beef. A vegetable, like corn, generally speaking, and mashed potatoes. Now, we never put cheese on it, but your mom puts cheese on top of everything. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's colloquial, if that's your mom, or if that's like my family did it differently. That's a small town trailer. Okay, fair enough. Well, I mean, I grew up poor too. We just, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if we just like couldn't afford cheese. <laughs> oh. <laughs> because yeah. there was never cheese on anything. And then- Go- uh, Government will give you free cheese. Well, we were on food stamps. Hmm. So, although that was like when I was much younger. I don't yeah. know. Anyways. Uh, and then her other casserole, tater tot casserole, you don't cook the meat first. Right, right. Right. Yeah. So, so, so you were, I think we were going back and forth because I was losing my mind. I was like, there's no way she does that. We were both right, actually, because mm-hmm. one time she does and one time she doesn't. I, I'm impressed with my mom and stepdad's just like, uh, like, like, like how tough and hearty they must be because my mom uh, routinely eats foods that are way expired <laughs> like <laughs> by, by a year or two like canned things that like they expired in like 2006 I know I they're still in recovered and then she'll leave things on the counter after that's a big thing growing up it does kind of weird me out uh, even though I did it all the time as a kid but she'll make things and then just leave them out on the counter for like, like a couple days like a casserole not refrigerated but it's cooked it is cooked but then she'll just but she'll just leave it out in the open air not covered not covered. Mm. Just, uh, you know, that's the thing that happens. I just feel like their immune systems must be so just robust. Yeah, maybe. Well, now, like when we would get pizza. Like, I, don't, I don't think food, uh, food poisoning could do shit to me. <laughs> when we would get pizza yeah. as a kid and mm-hmm. it would have meat on it. We would, obviously it shows up cooked. Mm-hmm. And then my parents would leave it in the box out on the countertop or on top of the oven or in the oven, not refrigerated. So I guess the left out doesn't freak me out as much because then also I mm-hmm. think about all the things that you can buy that like don't make sense not being refrigerated. Like why can I buy tiny Horizon Organic milks mm-hmm. not refrigerated? Something about I that. I won't do it. It freaks me out. But why can't I? So it must be sealed a certain way. So there was the casserole update. There was I needed to clear that up before 2022 because there's just right. been too many messages and I couldn't go into the new year with that hanging over my head. Well, for new listeners, welcome to our new podcast called Casserole Talk. <laughs> oh my God. Casserole Breakdown. I have so many Dana casseroles Lindsay. I could share. Of so many. <laughs> I got so excited talking to our friend Doug Mellard. He was like, we were like, oh, like what meal at Thanksgiving are you most excited about? He's like, oh, he's like, it's so silly. It's this like broccoli cheese casserole. I was like, oh my God, I know that casserole. I didn't know that anybody else knew that casserole. I thought it was something my mom made up. But I think... The recipe comes from the back of the cheese whiz can. Mm. Okay. Okay. All right. Casserole. There we go. More, that's episode two. Episode two on catching up with casseroles. <laughs> I would love it. The world's worst podcast. Come on, though. We eat a new podcast. We eat a new casserole dish on on air Oof. every week. My misophonia, like my mm-hmm, whole body just went mm-hmm. into convulsion. We have three listeners <laughs> who <laughs> who don't mind. <laughs> we have our three fans. They st- our three fans band together and they start a uh, side podcast called Casseroles and Cats. Perfect. Uh huh. That would be actually a very fun podcast, I have to say. Mm-hmm. You and me just chatting about life, mm-hmm. but we start with a casserole. <laughs> that like we we that's how we jump into conversation. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> now for real things that we have going on here at Bad Magic, uh, through the crazy amount of generosity and support from our fans, both on Patreon and just uh, the kindness of your hearts, you guys, we came up with a total of forty nine thousand dollars for that's the awesome. Giving Tree this year, which is fucking 
crazy. 16,000 came from Patreon, 15,000 came from Dan and I, and the rest came from fans. And Mm -hmm. yes, there again, there were some big donations, like blown away. I'm like, $3,000? Are you kidding me? How do you just have that lying around? It's just like, here you go. Yeah. Um, But the vast majority, it's like 20 bucks here, 50 bucks there, 10 bucks here. So the number of people that donated, it's, uh, I couldn't track it, but there were so, 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 so many. So thank you. Yes. And and with that money, we were able to help 198 kids. That's fantastic. That's amazing. You changed the lives of 198 Mm -hmm. children this holiday season. I want to round up to 200. 200. You like an even number. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, And then also next summer, Bad Magic Summer Camp. What hot American summer style adults only <laughs> camp. Uh, we just wanted to give you guys a heads up. We will be announcing more things as we have more details to share. Tickets will be on sale in the spring, like probably March-ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not a definitive date, but just giving you a heads up. There will only be 500 tickets available. So when we start talking about it and when we say that they're going on sale, make sure you have your calendars marked and all of that. And the dates for that, for people who need to request off work, will be August 20th through 22nd here in Coeur d'Alene. So it's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Mm-hmm. And there will be variations therein, like when can I show up and all that. Don't worry. We'll tell you all those things. And in terms of pricing... Save your dollars. Tickets will be similar to like any other type of like festival thing that you would go to, like Bonnaroo, Coachella, any of those kind of like multi-day sort of things. Mm -hmm. And then the thing that I'm most passionate about, not that I don't love like summer camp is great, but next year in January, Dan and I are launching our scholarship foundation, Mm -hmm. which is like a huge passion project of mine. It's something that I've wanted to do for a long time. Dan has definitely been on board with it too. And yeah, we both just um, we just believe that education is the way out. You know, yeah. it's uh, I don't know. We both grew up without a lot of money, and my family. I mean, I didn't have any scholarships because I didn't even know how to get them. Mm-hmm. And I came out of a two year college with a hundred thousand dollars worth of debt, which should never fucking happen to anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I've always wanted to get into some sort of nonprofit helping people navigate that system and and actually those things already exist so being able to just give money to people who need it is something that we are going to figure out so starting in january those patreon donations that we that patreon money that we take to make a donation to various charities we'll be figuring out a percentage of that will be held back and put into the scholarship fund the fund will build up over the course of the year and then we will you know have deadlines and submission processes and we have hired somebody to help us Mm -hmm. work on that and um yeah, we're really excited, and and as it unfolds, we'll be sure to keep you guys posted. Uh, very, very exciting for that. I would not have been able to go to Gonzaga if it were not for academic scholarships. Right. Yep, so, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, the option is to end up with a ton of debt that you can never get out from underneath. Right, right. You know? Uh, and then and then I have a uh, paranormal update to share before the previews. Oh, yeah, and just, like, if you're a new listener, for some reason, you're just Yeah, this is not the this, typical opening. Yeah, where it's normally, like, one, two minutes max. Yeah. Like, we try to really keep it condensed because we know you just want to get into the juice. Yeah. We have some exciting end of the end of the year announcements. Though. Yeah, we just want to talk to you guys a little bit. But this is this is an update to a paranormal uh, encounter that I shared early on in the podcast. Oh yeah, uh, a friend of ours, Neil Vissel, who works at a record label in Nashville. I did a stand up uh, album with a few years ago, Eight Hundred Pound Gorilla, a great comedy label. Uh, also a scared to death fan, sent Lindsay and I an email verifying this. Uh, yeah, this encounter I shared a while back, and he wrote, "I hope you're both well. Really bummed that we missed seeing you last March. It apparently upset the entire world enough to stay indoors for a year mourning the misconnection." <laughs> Uh, hope you and the family are all happy and healthy. Hope we're able to connect at some point this next year. 
I had to share something. I've been listening to Scared to Death a lot and wanted to congratulate you both on another job well done. Oh, thank you. I guess I made it through the whole series twice now on my own and a third time on a bunch of episodes based on when my girlfriend wants to spoop, <laughs> which was a big never before uh, she heard me listening to the show. Um, so thank you for that, too. Uh, I've started drafting this email and put it off several times over the last few months, but the mention of my hometown of Uvalde, Texas, also Matthew McConaughey's, oh. uh, on this week's shout-outs prompted me to finish this out. I have a story to share about Uvalde as well, but that's for a different time and a separate email address, so I'm guessing that's a time suck update. Or a my story. Or my story. Oh, yeah. Because this, this came to our personal email. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, on the episode that went out last week, Dan mentioned again his Rainbow Bar and Grill experience, and that's on the Sunset Strip in L.A. Mm -hmm. I felt compelled to share for a while now that I've experienced the same. I worked as a photographer when I lived in L.A., primarily shooting bands for music magazines, so I ended up at the Rainbow a fair amount. Mm -hmm. It only happened once. Either the first or second time I ever went to that place, and it never happened again, so I'd almost forgotten it entirely. But when I heard you talk about it, Dan, the memory flooded back in. I was eating in the dining room downstairs, went up the stairs to use the restroom, just like I did. Uh-huh. Uh, there was a band rocking in the little room to the side, so maybe I missed someone coming in, but I used the stall, heard the water come on. As I exited the stall, I found the hot water was on, had to adjust it to be able to wash my hands and leave. Never did the door open as far as I could tell. I don't think I ever brought it up to anyone. Just assuming at the time that someone came over from the show in the side room, left the water on. I did find it weird that it was so hot, though. I wanted to keep it fairly brief, so that's it for now. I'll follow up with that story later. Just wanted to confirm the story and wish you guys a Merry Christmas. Hope to see you both in Nashville this next year. Best, Neil. Aw, so, Neil. So we hope to see you too, Neil. And uh, yeah, and if you don't remember, or if you're a newer listener on the show, when I was in this place, uh, the same place with Lindsay and our friend Joe Eschenbach, mm -hmm. uh, went upstairs. No one, definitely no one was in the bathroom because I used the urinal. Well, and there was also like no one it was in so the dead. restaurant. It was we, so dead. We went to we went senior early. center, senior citizen dinner. Oh no, I'm stuck on my sweater. <laughs> at like, yeah, like at like five or so or four. Yeah, early. Yeah, a very early pre-show dinner. Yeah. It, yeah, and it was, um, uh, yeah, really dead. Went up there and then the water was so hot and it seemed to come on on its own when I was using the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And then what was so weird is when I tried to recreate that by myself, after that, and then later with Lindsay and Joe watching, could not get the water that hot again. And when I talked to the waitress about it before I even said the sink, I asked if this place was haunted. And I'm like, well, I was just upstairs. And then she cut me off and said, oh, the water turned on by itself. Mm -hmm. So this is something that happens a fair amount. And what, I, what makes me really lean towards paranormal is, I mean, maybe some plumbing thing could make it like turn on that way. But why would it? There's nothing that would make it get super hot in those instances. Sure. But the same sink, same mechanism, not be able to get that hot otherwise. 100%. So that was, uh, yeah. Thank you for that validation, Neil. Does that make you more of a believer? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many stories are you going to close out 2021 with? Three. Oh, you did go with three. Okay. I did. I, know you're on I the did. Fence. I was okay. on the fence and I thought, like, give the fans what they want. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. So I have um, I have three stories this week. I'm excited about all of them as usual. Uh, but let's see. Oh, yeah. So we have one, uh, an interesting setting, uh, abandoned mental hospital, but mm -hmm. not not people sneaking in, like a planned right. visit from the National Guard doing some prep work. Okay. And so that was very interesting. I'm like, oh, okay, I don't know how many stories like that we have. And then a family that knows they've got a spirit in the house, mom doesn't believe, dad does, and like mm -hmm. what happens when that spirit shows up quite a bit more 
frequently. Okay. And then lastly, um, our third story, uh, somebody who wrote in, oh my gosh, wait, I think I have a problem with my stories. Oh dear. Well, you go ahead and talk about your third story. Okay. Because I'm going to look at something and make sure that this is okay. Okay. Oh, and, and I have a hiking story. I threw myself off because the first line of <laughs> okay. the first story is National Park, and I saw National, and I went with National Guard, but the National Guard is my third story. Gotcha. And I was so like, your stories oh, no, are there. I printed the same one twice. Okay, okay. Pro- crisis averted. Uh, I have my standard two. The first comes from the popular uh, C- uh, Caribbean. I always want to say Caribbean. This is not right. But Caribbean uh, vacation destination of Aruba. Oh, Aruba, Jamaica. I know, right? The Beach yeah. Boys. And also... Caribbean queen. Mm-hmm. Billy Ocean. Uh-huh. Uh, a tragedy from several centuries ago on the Dutch island just off the coast of Venezuela uh, still seems to be echoing in the present along a little strip of land called Frenchman's Pass. Mm. Second story takes us to rural Nebraska, and man, is it creepy. Okay. Uh, we explore the legend of Seven Sisters Road, where a supposed series of tragedies in the early 20th century poisoned the land that may have already been home to some kind of strange monster. I feel like we've had fans write in with that suggestion, Seven Sisters Road. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I know we, we did get... the Seven Gates story on the show a while back. Yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, we get and quite Dice a Road. few, and I, I send them off to the team. But you know, also they're doing their own research, so mm-hmm. sometimes it just coincide. Yep, yeah. it just happens. Uh, are you ready to head to the place that makes us apparently both think of the Beach Boys song, Kokomo? Uh, look at my socks say, "Don't stop believing." They got Sasquatch uh, riding Nelly. Right in the Loch Ness Monster. Look at that. Look mm-hmm. at that. I think these socks were for you, but I stole them, so sorry. I think it's a reference to old times like episode. Whatever, they're for me. And now Aruba, Jamaica. Oh, I wanna take it's, you to Bermuda. Ooh, ooh Bahama, I wanna take you. Not come oh. on, pretty mama. Key Largo, Montego. Montego. Baby, why don't we go? Jamaica off the Florida Keys. Oh, what, what happened to the line to um mm-hmm. uh to the Kokomos. No, it goes there. There's a place called Kokomo. Oh, no, I think I have it you wrong jumped. in my head. You jumped jumped oh, early. No, good thing. Good thing I didn't chime in too much. Uh, all right. All right. Let's go, Beach Boy. Okay. Frenchman's Pass is the name of a narrow land passage on the island of Aruba between coral cliffs and the area known as the Spanish Lagoon, a wetland now protected by the government. Today, Frenchman's Pass is occasionally used as a shortcut to get to a bridge that passes over the lagoon halfway between the airport and the town of St. Nicholas. Frenchman's Pass got its name after a deadly battle over three centuries ago. In the early 17th century, some French pirates tried to invade Aruba, so really almost basically four centuries ago, and they were confronted by tribal warriors at the Narrow Passage. An untold amount of French and indigenous fighters were killed, the dead almost exclusively being members of the local tribe who didn't have an answer for the French pirates' advanced firepower. In the end, literally all of the tribe's warriors are said to have died. Those not killed in the initial fighting fled into a nearby cave where the French then smoked them out. The remaining warriors either died from smoke inhalation or ran out of the cave coughing and choking and were then butchered. And in the centuries since their deaths, countless people have reported experiencing strange and disturbing phenomena at Frenchman's Pass. Most of the reports have revolved around strange balls of fire seen suspended in the trees. These balls of fire or light have reportedly caused car and technology troubles. Occasionally, the balls have followed cars all the way through the pass. Others claim to lose their radio and cell phone signals in the area. Some have also reported feeling that their car hit something, then seeing nothing in the road, but then finding their car dented and covered in blood later. An unnatural silence often heard throughout the pass, always after sunset, as if all living things flee the area at night. Perhaps the most disturbing activity encountered is when people hear crying and screaming carried on the wind, 
Many also see the apparition of an elderly woman in a shawl, wandering the paths as if she is searching for something. And finally, an unusually high number of accidents occur along Frenchman's Pass, many attributed to the woman's spirit appearing in the road. Superstitious locals will stay away from the pass, but others and tourists often like to take it as a shortcut to the airport bridge or as part of an ATV tour. The following is a story that comes from two tourists who made the mistake of using the pass for an evening shortcut. Time now for the tale of the lights of Frenchman's Pass. Claire sat on the bed in her hotel room, staring out the window and watching the last of the sunset fade into the horizon. She tried to ignore the resentment she was feeling. Jordan, her workaholic husband, decided to book a late flight so he could be back to work bright and early Monday morning. Instead of getting angry, Claire forced herself to think of the amazing week they just spent together at the resort. She and Jordan had been having some trouble in their marriage recently, arguing too much, a lack of affection, and Jordan's obsession with work. Their therapist had suggested a romantic getaway as a way to reconnect and rekindle the romance in their marriage. No laptops or work cell phones allowed. And it had been wonderful. A little slice of heaven. They'd spent a blissful week relaxing on the beach, enjoying the resort and all its amenities, working on getting the spark back in their love life. And they did get a bit of that spark back. But right as they'd begun to fall into a wonderful new groove, real life showed back up and they had to face the fact that vacations come to an end. And now Claire was frustrated with Jordan. Again. She understood that Jordan really had to work, but did he really have to book a 10 p.m. flight back home? Why couldn't they just wait until the morning? He could miss one day of work, couldn't he? The sound of the door clicking open made Claire turn turn around away from her soothing island view. Jordan rushed in, an excited expression on his face. Okay, I finally found a driver willing to take us. Of course, after I offered him a $50 tip on top of the fare, he grumbled as he went around the room gathering their bags. Claire checked her watch, 8 p.m. Are you sure we should go tonight? It's really dark out there. Can't we just cancel the flight? You can call your boss, tell him you can't make it because you had some issue with the flight or something. I know he'd understand. He sighed irritably. Babe, it's fine. Remember Juan, the waiter? Claire nodded her head. Well, he told me about a shortcut to the bridge. It'll cut the travel time down, so we'll get to the airport faster, make our flight, and you know I have to get to work tomorrow. I have a big presentation that came up last minute with my team. Reluctantly, Claire gathered up their things. She looked back at the room one last time. She really hoped all their progress on the trip would come back home with them. She felt closer to Jordan than ever and didn't want the realities of life starting to separate them again. Claire and Jordan waited in the resort's main lobby, watching the road outside as they waited for the driver. Jordan checking his watch every few minutes. The driver was running late. Finally, at 8.45, headlights pulled into the circle drive at the main entrance. Taxi painted on the side of the car in bright letters. Claire and Jordan raced to the car, throwing their luggage into the truck and hopping into the back seat. You're late, Jordan rudely told her driver. Claire elbowed him. The man turned around to face them. Apologies. The cab station is some distance away. We appreciate you taking us on such short notice, Claire said, rushing to interject before Jordan could say anything else. I'm Claire. This is my husband, Jordan. What's your name? Luis, he said. So, Luis, how fast do you think you can get us to the airport? We have a 10 o'clock flight, Jordan inquired. He thought for a moment before answering, "Mm, 30 minutes, give or take a few. Jordan sighed before perking up. Wait, my friend who works here told me about a shortcut, something called Frenchman's Pass. It'll bypass the roads, take us to the bridge. Luis's eyes turned wary. No, I don't think we will go that way. Jordan raised his eyebrows. Why not? It's not safe at night. Claire watched Jordan's frustration rise. She prepared herself to jump in and stop an argument. But instead of fighting with the man, Jordan pulled a $50 bill out of his wallet. How about now? Louise eyed the money. 
Claire watched an internal battle play out in the man's mind. He clearly didn't want to take this shortcut, but the promise of a large tip plus fare was winning out. Claire wondered what was so bad about the area. Were the roads uneven? Was there a steep cliff? Highway robbers? Whatever it was, it clearly wasn't that bad because Louise accepted the money and gave them a gruff, okay, I'll take you. Jordan relaxed a bit into his seat, throwing his arm around Claire as Louise pulled out of the resort and onto the small island roads. Claire looked out the window, watching the dark landscape speed past them. Everything seemed so lively during the day, but at night, it was as if the whole island went to sleep. It seemed like the three people in their car were the only ones outside at this time. It was an oddly eerie feeling. Louise turned off the paved roads onto a smaller dirt road. He slowed down to a crawl. Claire could see a look of trepidation on his face. He didn't want to be here, but why? We are at the pass. Are you sure you want to go through here? Louise asked them. Claire swore she saw a bead of sweat drip down his forehead. Yes, we're sure, Jordan answered, irritation clear in his tone. Louise slowly drove forward into the pass. Trees arched above them, blocking out most of the moonlight. Now only Louise's headlights illuminated the road, casting odd shadows on the ground. They looked like strange, humanoid creatures. Claire was reminded of the haunted hayride she'd been on as a child, where the staff would jump out from the trees to scare the riders. She tensed up, expecting a man in a scary mask to jump out at any moment. She wished Louise would drive a little faster, but he kept to his frustratingly slow crawl. A glow now caught Claire's attention. She leaned forward, peering out the window, and saw what looked like orange balls of fire slowly floating down towards them from the trees. What the hell? Jordan whispered. Claire rolled down the window, poking her head outside. It wasn't fire at all. There were no growing flames, no smoke rising in the air. These orange orbs were balls of light floating in the trees and all around them. They slowly gathered around the taxi cab, inching closer and closer. Claire rolled up her window in case they they were hot. She didn't want to get burned. Wow, she whispered. That's so beautiful. What do you think that is, Louise? Some kind of mirage or something? Insects? Instead of answering, he glared at her and Jordan, locking his eyes with them in his rearview mirror, his gaze angry, suspicious. I can't do this anymore. You need to leave. I will not take you any further. What? Claire asked. Leave where? Get out. Hey, man, Jordan interrupted. Just take it to the airport. Whatever these things are, they're not hurting anything. Just keep driving past them. Get out of my car, he repeated. Slowly, Louise reached into the glove box, pulled out a real sharp-looking hunting knife. I mean it. Claire's heart was pounding. Was this really happening right now? What the hell are you doing, dude? Jordan demanded. All the times I've driven through the past, nothing has ever happened. I take you one time, the lights appear. Something is not right with you. Get out, now. He pointed the knife threateningly in their direction. Okay, okay. Jordan's voice shook a bit as he opened the door. Claire, Claire, just do what he says. Get out. Can we at least get our stuff? Louise popped open the truck, never letting go of the knife. Claire and Jordan slowly got out of the car, never taking their eyes off of Louise, who was also giving them a suspicious glare down. As soon as they had their bags and closed the trunk, Louise sped off, tires leaving a cloud of dirt behind him. Claire and Jordan were now alone, with those strange lights floating around them. They inched closer and closer, one of them almost brushing against Claire's arm. Oddly, she couldn't feel any heat coming from them. What are we going to do? She asked Jordan. I'm going to call the police and report that asshole for threatening us and taking our fare but not taking us to the airport. I memorized his plate number when we got out our bags out. Jordan pressed some buttons on his phone, then grunted a frustration in frustration a moment later. God damn it, no signal. Claire couldn't make herself care as uh, much in that moment. She was too fascinated by the strange orange lights. They were so beautiful. She'd never seen anything like them before. She reached her hand out to touch one, 
And then Jordan grabbed her arm. What are you doing? Claire shook her head, trying to clear her thoughts. I, I don't know. Don't touch that. We don't even know what these things are. We need to figure out how we're going to get out of here with all this stuff around us. It's got to be some rare kind of atmospheric refraction. I don't know, some kind of gas. We can find out later. Did you really have to pack so much? Anger rose within Claire instantaneously. Are you serious? We wouldn't even be in this situation if you didn't insist on taking that shortcut. We probably would have made it on time if you would have just let him take the main route. Now we're definitely going to miss your flight. Jordan checked his watch, did a double take. Something's up with the time. My watch has been stuck on 9.03 since the last time I looked. He pulled out his phone. My phone's stuck too. Claire sighed, pulled her phone out. 9.03, no cell signal. Great, now we're lost with no cell signal. We don't even know what time it is. She crossed her arms, turned away from her husband, too angry to look at him. Jordan sighed. Claire, I'm sorry for starting an argument. We don't need to be doing this right now. I think the best thing to do is just walk straight through the pass. Juan told me it will take us right to the bridge. When we get our cell signal back, I'll call another cab, okay? Fine, you're right, she said. We need to work together instead of fighting. Grabbing their bags, they turned around to face the rest of the pass. Those orange lights had come to a standstill, frozen all around them, filling the trees. It reminded Claire of thousands of eyes, watching their every move. Claire and Jordan slowly made their way down the straight dirt road. The only sounds were their footsteps and the rolling of the suitcases behind them. It was completely, utterly silent out here. Claire was afraid to breathe too loudly. She had this eerie feeling of being watched and if she made a sudden move or too much noise, she'd alert these glowing watchers and something bad could happen. Neither Claire nor Jordan had any idea how long the pass truly was, how long their walk would be. He checked his phone periodically for a signal, and they remained stuck in a dead spot. Claire had no idea how long it had been. Her sense of time felt off. She didn't know if she'd been out here for minutes or hours. The pass felt endless. After what felt like miles of walking, a cold breeze drifted past them, rusting the leaves in the trees, making a strange hissing noise. It reminded Claire of a snake just before it strikes. All the lights blinked out at once then, as if somebody had blown them out like a candle. Another rush of wind hissed through the trees. Claire and Jordan froze. He placed a comforting hand on her back as he looked around. The lights, although creepy, had provided plenty of illumination for the path. Now all they had was the dim light of the moon above them. Looking around, Claire could see that they were still in the middle of the pass. The narrow path lay before them, behind them, in an unfathomable distance. Jordan, she whispered, turning around to face him. She was met with a horrified expression. What? Shh! He whispered. Claire turned back around to see what had scared him. An old woman was slowly walking out of the woods, hunched over, her hair in a long braid going all the way down her back, layers of shawls wrapped around her body. She carried a wooden walking stick in one hand, flaming torch in another. Her hair was so white. All of her was white, actually. She was almost... Was she actually glowing? Claire shook her head to clear her vision to try to get her eyes to focus properly. The old woman was glowing, casting a bright light all around her brighter than the torch she carried. Claire was too afraid to call out to ask the woman where they were, how far it was to the road. Something in her gut told her this was not a good idea. It seemed like the woman couldn't see them, but if Claire spoke, maybe things wouldn't go well for them. Ghost, her mind spoke to her, as if it were a separate consciousness. consciousness. Not woman. Ghost. Jordan moved closer. Claire could feel his chest moving against her back. He was breathing rapidly. Claire's heart was pounding. She was still too afraid to move. The old woman never turned around to face them. Instead, she walked along the edge of the path, moving her torch around, craning her neck in all directions. 
It was as if she was looking for something, but what? Jordan, what should we do? Claire asked. I don't know. Jordan's foot moved and kicked a rock, making a loud, shuffling noise in the dirt. Claire felt his body grow tense behind her. He stopped breathing, pulled her tightly against his side. The light slowly flickered back on now, from a faint glow to a bright, angry red. Claire had a moment of sickening realization. They found us. For whatever reason, maybe these things couldn't really see them before, despite being so near. Or rather, they couldn't see what they were. Maybe she thought, her mind having all kinds of crazy, flittering thoughts, maybe we'd appeared as nothing more than orbs to them. But now they could see her and Jordan. And if that were true, would she and Jordan now see what they really were? And what were they? She didn't want to find out. The old woman now paused her search. She straightened up and slowly turned around. For a moment, time stood still. Claire and Jordan froze, holding each other tightly, not breathing. The old woman locked eyes with them, cocking her head in an animal-like way. Her face contorted into a satisfied and terrifying grimace. The old woman's mouth opened unnaturally wide, and she let out an ear-piercing scream. The scream blasting through the air, shaking the trees as it carried over to Claire and Jordan. She winced, wanting to cover her ears and block out the horrible sound. That was a scream of pure rage, and it was directed right at them. After a moment of hesitation, Jordan grabbed her arm. Run, he shouted, pulling her with him as he sprinted back the way they came, back towards the resort, back to the safety of electric lights, people, and cell service. The floating orbs flickered in and out as they ran, illuminating the path one moment, plunging them into darkness the next. Claire and Jordan ran as far as fast as they could, but neither one of them were in great shape. They had to slow down to a jog, then to a walk as they lost their breath and their muscles quickly cramped with exhaustion. Thankfully, everything seemed back to normal. Although it was still dark and unnaturally silent, the strange lights were now gone. More importantly, the screaming woman, nowhere to be seen. They'd left behind all their things in the middle of the past, but neither one of them dared but walk back to retrieve them. Instead, they walked and walked forward until finally they heard the sounds of cars driving past them on the road. A local police officer, who happened to be passing by, escorted them back to their resort. He seemed suspicious of their story when Jordan reported their cab driver, but he dutifully took down the license plate and made a report. The officer then dropped them back off at the resort where Jordan and Claire were forced to pay for another night. Jordan, of course, did not make it back to work on time. The next morning, they didn't bother to return to Frenchman's Pass to retrieve their things. They took the long way to the airport. On the flight home, Claire and Jordan mutually agreed that from now on, on all future vacations, no more shortcuts. Interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. So we don't really know what it is. Nope. Huh bunch of lights and they said they saw a ghost of an old woman hmm i would have gone back for my stuff the next day you would you have just yeah the light daylight? of day yeah yeah well maybe if it happened to you though maybe you'd be too freaked mm, but i just feel like i would want to talk to um maybe like the concierge or somebody at the hotel somebody has to like if if that happened i think i would feel like okay there's no way this was a one-off i would want to talk yeah. to somebody and then Maybe somebody at the uh, hotel doesn't want to say, just because, like, you know, they could get in trouble at work, like, don't scare the guests, yada, sure, yada, sure, yada. Sure. But let's just say, his what was his friend's name? Juan, the yeah. waiter. I would find that guy and be like, okay, you told us to go that way. <laughs> Give him 50 bucks to go get the stuff. Yeah. Well, also, like, what's the fucking deal, man? Yeah. Like, do you, what do you know about that? Mm. But Because it could have been a little bit of a setup. Hmm. He didn't think about that? Huh. No, yeah, I didn't, for sure. I'm suspicious of people. Oh, they sent him out there to have something bad happen. Yeah, maybe some sort of like sacrifice or. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. E. E. Ichiwawa. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, a couple pictures here. Uh, okay. The first one is just a picture of Frenchman's Pass. Okay. 
So that's the little road that doesn't look too bad at all in the, in the day. Uh, no, but at night, that would be creepy AF. Yeah, especially, okay, this next one shows uh, more of like how the uh, the brush can cover it in parts. Mm-hmm. Go completely over it. So at night, that would block out part of the sky and everything. Oh, yeah. Well, in that first photo, there's just so many branches and things mm-hmm. growing in different ways. The shadows that mm-hmm. that would cast would be blah. And then this uh, last one, nearby cave, where the, you know, some locals may have once many, many, many years ago died of that smoke inhalation. Man, that's so sad. Mm-hmm. Also, caves really freak me out. Yeah, they're just so dark. So dark. And, and you don't know what's in there. Yeah, and even ones that are like, what was that, in Italy? There was like some like cave story that you told. Uh, like two friends, they were on a, uh, like a foreign oh. exchange kind of thing. And But caves in general, like. Yeah, they were crypts. I think yeah. they were going through some like old tombs and stuff, yeah. But still a cave-like system, yeah. you yeah. know. Mm-hmm. Like uh, there's old mines here. Going into any of that really makes me uncomfortable. It doesn't make me feel feel claustrophobic mm-hmm. but my fear of it's all gonna collapse on us like I, I it's not like i can't breathe in there i just think like this is fucking scary yeah it's uncomfortable yeah Blah. yeah don't care for it so i thought that was a good uh good warm-up story this next one i found much creepier okay so i'm curious if you do too i wanted to ask you is there oh. like um I, well i just like made this note of dead man's curve it's in ohio oh, it's like uh-huh. on the local freeway like going I want to say it's coming out of Cleveland, hmm. uh, but like we're just, you know, people, I don't know, speed a lot and die. Mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't really know the story behind it, but do you have anything like that? Like where you grew up or, cause I don't know of anything around here like that. No. I mean, there were some bad corners in the canyon, like a windy corner. This is something I can't remember the name for it, but, uh, but I mean, n- nothing paranormal associated with it. Just a definitely slow down. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking about that like bullseye that's on like the Oh yeah, that one is just a really bad corner where okay. a lot of where a lot of cars have hit. my my uncle was one of my uncle Phil yeah. crashed a Camaro in that exact spot because like, you know, a lot of times it's like, oh yeah, okay, 35 miles an hour, whatever. It's like this one is it's basically like a right turn in the middle of the freeway mm-hmm. that isn't announced. It's it's a deceptively uh, a hard angle. Hmm. Yeah. So what? a lot of people just hit it. That's why they made the bullseye there. Hmm. I just wonder like if anybody's had something happen there, Not something that I know paranormal, of. because yeah. I'm sure someone has died there at that. I would assume so. I, would, I mean, I would think. Mm-hmm. So that spirit could be hanging around. And maybe that's like what the Frenchman's past thing is too, though. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not all this other stuff with Juan and maybe not some big sacrifice. Maybe it's like, you know, some dangerous thing and someone died there and they're, maybe that old lady was going to keep them safe. She didn't seem friendly when she screamed. I know. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. Maybe Who she's knows? just screaming out in anguish. I yeah. don't know. Also, I've never been kicked out of a cab. Have you ever been kicked out of a cab? Um, no, I've heard of people getting kicked out of cabs. Though. Really? Yeah, but but no, not me personally. Huh. I also want to know why nine oh three. That was a very specific time. Yeah, I don't know. Might have been just when they happened to go through there. Mm, uh, I think so because they had a 10 oh, o'clock flight. Oh, they got flights. picked up at 8.45. Yeah, I think yeah, it was just okay. the, yeah, when they went through there. Okay, fair. All right, fine. Okay, I'm ready to go to Nebraska. <laughs> All right, we're going to we're gonna travel down another dark, dusty, lonely road. Before we uh, head along, you know, east to west, to an east to west road, a little south of Nebraska City, we need to hear from our awesome sponsors. What is the most basic gift you have ever given the moms in your life for Mother's Day? Flowers? a candle, some random knickknack you picked up at the last minute because you completely spaced Mother's Day? I have definitely made the mistake of procrastinating gifts for Mother's Day. And then like the Friday before I run to whatever store is open and convince myself that yes, yes, my mom does need another coffee mug that declares she's the world's (laughs) best. So lame. 
This year, how about one-upping yourself by giving the moms in your life an Aura picture frame? Named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to any mom at any age. Aura frames connect easily to Wi-Fi and have unlimited storage so you can share as many pictures as you want. This year, as many of you know, I am on a spending freeze, but one of my carve-outs was meaningful gifts for the people I love. I don't want to give all of the moms in our lives something that won't bring them joy. We are giving Aura frames to the moms in our world because they are timeless, heartwarming gifts. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code SCARED at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What are the things that weigh you down on a day-to-day basis? What kind of stress are you holding on to? Do you spend much of your day going over things in your brain over and over until they are so distracting it affects your mental health? Well, don't worry. You're not alone. We all carry different stressors, some big, some small. When we keep things bottled up, the results can be negative. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest without fear or judgment. It's a place to work through what is heavy on your mind and heart so that you can feel lighter and happier. I'm always holding on to something. It's the way my anxious brain works. I'm continually worried that I've done something wrong, that I've hurt the feelings of someone I love, and that I have let someone down. I'm stressed that I'm not being a good enough mom or wife. I panic that our life will implode at any given moment and it'll all be my fault. Thankfully, I have an amazing therapist who helps me talk through each of these scenarios. After each and every appointment, I feel lighter, happier, and more capable of showing up as my most authentic self. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash scared to death today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash scared to death. Summer is just around the corner. Who's excited? I know I am. With the warmer, sunnier days calling your name, the last place you're going to want to be is in your kitchen, cooking and meal prepping. Make your life easier with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Factors Never Frozen, Always Fresh Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Think of all the extra time you will get outside in the summer sun when you aren't wasting hours in the kitchen. I think I speak for everyone when I say that the summer is the busiest time of the year. We are all trying to cram in as many things as possible, from concerts to vacations and everything in between. With Kyler home from college and Monroe on her break too, I want to spend as much time as possible with them. And while I truly love to cook, the summer is the one time of year that I'm the least interested in doing that for three meals a day. So I lean on Factor to help keep me healthy and in step with my diet. I'm obsessed with the honey yogurt pancakes for breakfast, the pork El Pastor for lunch, and the cilantro lime barramundi for dinner. So easy and saves me so much time. Head to factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 and use code scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code scared to death 50 at factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Thanks for listening to our deals, creeps and peepers. Hope you heard a few that spoke to you. Uh, some spooky setup, spoopy uh, setup here. Uh, then we're off and running with this crazy story. We haven't said spoopy a lot lately. I'm glad <laughs> you're bringing it back. <laughs> Seven Sisters Road lies just a few miles south of Dunbar in Nebraska City, Nebraska, on maps simply called L Road. Part of it is paved. Part of it is just dirt and gravel. Does not cut through any towns. It's not tr- terribly long. Uh, nothing but farmland. A road that would go entirely unnoticed and unknown even to locals who live in the two little towns no more than three miles away. 
if not for a dark and disturbing history that gave Seven Sisters Road its unofficial name. In the early 1900s, seven young women allegedly murdered and hanged in trees along this barely used dusty road. A family once lived on a farm uh, along where the road now lies below Dunbar, a family consisting of a mother, a father, a brother, and seven sisters. They lived in an area with seven gently rolling hills, and after a heated argument one night, the volatile brother, long known as a troubled and violent young man, stormed out of the house. He hid in the woods, stewing in his anger, and then one by one, he lured his sisters out of the house, led each of them to the top of one of the hills, and then hanged them from a tree. Oh my God. No one knows what happened to the bodies or to the brother afterwards. The parents, John and Julia Warden, are buried on the property. Julia died in 1880, John in 1901. They did have seven daughters and a son. The only possible evidence that the story, you know, might be more than just local legend. Back when this tragedy may have occurred, Seven Sisters Road did not exist. The area remained undisturbed for years following these supposed seven deaths until construction started. As soon as the road construction finished, people began reporting supernatural occurrences. Once again, when something on the grounds where spirits dwell is disturbed, those spirits become active and often seemingly angry. In November of 1968, a local deputy responded to calls about sightings of some sort of monster every night for a week. The monster reportedly witnessed emerging from a field night after night at roughly 11 p.m. The strange beast, said to be roughly six feet tall, looked like a cross between a bear and a wolf. Next, a group of teens partying in an old, not-in-current-use barn in the area one night saw glowing red eyes in the cornfields out of which this beast would emerge. They sped off down the road, but then this monster supposedly grabbed the bumper, stopped the car. Before they were able to drive off, it shattered the back window. Holy hell. Not long after reports came in about this beast... Farmers in the area and the occasional teen driving through the area began reporting, hearing the sound of women's screams, and oddly, sometimes the sound of bells ringing loudly from a private family cemetery nearby. A suspicious amount of mysterious car troubles also seemed to plague the short stretch of road where the sisters may have been killed, stalling, dimming headlights, frozen speedometers, windows rolling up and down on their own have all been claimed. One man's radio started playing the Doors song, This Is The End, over and over, no matter how many times he changed the channel. Oh. Or station, rather, I guess. Uh, the old warden farm along the road, currently owned by Nate Sturm and his wife, Becky. They live there with their two daughters, Natalie and Abby. Natalie says she's heard bells and whispers. Becky says she's heard screams. It was blood-curdling. She said it was not a bobcat. It was definitely a woman screaming. It was crazy. One morning, Nate Sturm was out hunting before dawn, and he watched a strange creature walk upright directly towards him. He says, the creature had glowing red eyes. He prepared to shoot it, but then it ran off and left him alone. And he says he hasn't seen it since. Natalie Sturm told the Omaha World Herald that most people don't see anything the first time they drive down L Road, but that uh, the second time is when it always starts. Only four of the seven slight hills remain. The other three ground flat for farming, but the spirits of the seven women and whatever kind of monster may live in the fields with them has allegedly never left this area. Time now for the tale of the Nightmare Beast. Tonight was good, right? Lori smiled. Yeah, yeah, it was. Blake reached over and squeezed her hand. It was late, almost 10 p.m. They were making the just a bit more than a half hour drive from Blake's parents' house in Douglas back to their small apartment in Nebraska City. They enjoyed a nice, if somewhat awkward dinner together. Things were tense. Blake was working on repairing his relationship with his parents. Ever since he dropped out of med school a year ago, they were not happy with him, especially since they'd paid for most of his education. 
They were so disappointed that actually refused to speak to him for over a month. They were just now starting to accept the fact that Blake wasn't going to be a doctor like his father and continue the family practice. Lori was just thankful they'd gotten through the evening without any awkward, passive-aggressive statements flying around the table. She noticed that Blake didn't make the usual turn onto Highway 2 this night. Instead, he turned onto a long gravel road leading up to a little hill. Where are you going? Lori asked. Oh, I found a new way home last time I visited my parents. Cut straight through town. Or cut straight through to town. Faster by three minutes. Lori smiled. One of Blake's obsessions was finding the quickest routes home. He was always exploring different roads, timing the journey to find the most efficient way to travel around the area. He could be a peculiar guy, and this was one of his things, as she'd call them when talking to her friends. She liked that he was a little quirky. She didn't even know this route existed. It looked like a private road, but there weren't any signs saying they couldn't pass through. There were no lights, just some power poles dotting the left side, a mix of cornfields and trees all around, mostly corn, but some pockets of land were... Uh, but some pockets of the land were either too rocky or hilly to be worth turning into farmland. Lori stared out the window. It was one of those nights where the sky was especially clear. The moon shined brightly, and the stars looked like glitter in the sky. She became lost in her thoughts. Such a nice Sunday night. They were out much later than she wanted to be, but she didn't want to rush home when things were going so well. She still had to put clothes in the dryer, wash the sink full of dishes, pack her bag for work. She found herself getting lost in her to-do list thoughts. Had she washed her favorite shirt yet, or was it still in the dirty clothes pile? If it was dirty, she could wear her white sweater with black slacks. Blake slammed on the brakes, jarring her car, or jarring her out of her internal monologue. Lori went flying forward, bracing her hands on the dashboard to keep her face from smacking into it. The tires screeched, gravel flew up around them. Her eyes snapped to her husband. He was frozen still, mouth agape, eyes wide in terror. His arms literally shook as he gripped the steering wheel too tightly. Lori's eyes shifted to the windshield. Her heart dropped into her stomach, and she let out a small cry of fear. There was a, a, a monster standing in front of the car. She didn't know what else you would call it. Blake, her voice cracked. Blake, what the hell is that? He said nothing. The thing in front of them was huge. It felt like it was ten feet tall, even hunched over as it was. Its paws, for lack of a better descriptive term, were massive. Tipped in claws that had to be as long as knives. Covered in matted, greasy-looking fur, long snout hung open, revealing massive canines dripping with saliva. Worst of all, the thing had glowing red eyes, eyes staring right at them. Blake! She took her eyes off the creature to look at him. His eyes were locked on the monster, seemed to be staring right back at him. Lori shook him. Blake, we need to drive away. He showed no reaction to her words. It was like he didn't even hear her. Lori shifted her eyes back to this thing. It was closer. She could see the air clouding up with each heavy breath it took. Blake, she said as loud as she dared. Blake, drive! Nothing. He continued staring at the monster, his pupils dilated, almost blacking out the irises of his eyes, his skin pale, breath coming in heavy pants. The thing was closer. Blake, please! Please drive! She begged. Her voice shook, her heart pounded. What could she do? She wouldn't be able to push him out of the driver's seat. It was like Blake was hypnotized by this thing. Still locking eyes with him and only him had some sort of hold on him. He wouldn't move no matter what she did. This thing took another step closer. Oh my God, drive, please. The monster now stood directly in front of their car. Its eyes shifted to Lori. No, she whispered, no, 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 no. Blake did nothing, still frozen in place, the odd stare on his face. Blake, drive, she screamed, not caring how loud she was now. 
The monster dug its claws into the hood of the car now, the claws making a horrible screeching sound as they dented the metal. It used its grip to propel itself upward, jumping onto the roof of the car with a loud, crunching thud. Drive! Lori screamed, pulling at his arm, punching his shoulder, anything to get him to react. To just put his foot on the gas and, gas and speed off. The monster's hand slapped down into the sunroof. It dragged its claws along the glass. Lori screamed. Blake still did nothing. Lori heard the loud crunch of metal. The monster's hand shot through the roof, reaching down with deadly claws, barely missing Lori's face. She screamed again, cringing backwards against the door. Blake! She cried, a sob rising into her throat. Was this even real? Were they going to die like this on a road in the middle of the country with some impossible-looking monster trying to eat them? She wanted to laugh at the absurdity of it all. Just, just drive, Blake, okay? Please, please just drive, she begged. Her head suddenly snapped, or his head suddenly snapped towards her. Why? he asked. His eyes were emotionless, his voice not his own, almost robotic. The passenger side door suddenly ripped off its hinges now. A large, clawed hand grabbed Lori's arm, pulled her out of the car. She screamed as the monster now dragged her along the gravel road, rocks cutting her skin, shredding her clothes as the thing dragged her into the woods. She tried with all her might to dig her feet into the ground to resist in some way. Blake, help me! She screamed. Surely someone would hear the screaming. Blake would snap out of it and save her, right? The monster continued dragging her further and further away into the darkness. Lori decided in that moment she wasn't going to die without at least trying to fight. She reached her spare hand out to claw at the monster's arm. When that didn't work, she grabbed a handful of gravel, flung it at the monster's head. It turned around and roared into her face, snapping its fangs, red eyes glowering at her. She grabbed another handful of rocks, threw them into its eyes, screaming with rage. The monster growled deep and threatening. Instead of eating her, though, it dragged her faster into the nearby patch of woods. Lori felt her jeans rip now, bare skin sliding against the gravel, her arm bleeding from the monster's claws. Now she's in a little grove of trees when the monster suddenly lets go, sending her flopping onto the forest floor. It stands over her red eyes, glowing with menace. It opens its mouth, burying its fangs, saliva dripping onto her face. Lori closes her eyes, praying that if she's going to be eaten, she'd die quickly and it wouldn't hurt too much. But instead of eating her, the monster stops growling, goes completely silent. A moment later, Lori hears its pounding footsteps running off into the woods. It had left her? She dared to open her eyes. She blinked. She blinked again. Lori now watched as a translucent figure of some woman slowly floated towards her. Her long dress fading into wispy tendrils at the ends, barely brushing against the leaves as she approached. She was sure now she died, and she felt at peace. At least it hadn't hurt. Lori wasn't even the least bit afraid of this woman. She thought she must be some sort of angel. She waited for her to get closer, wondering what would happen next. Is this what life after death was like? Floating women, monsters, and dark woods? She wanted to laugh. No one had gotten it right. She wished she could tell Blake. Blake, she thought. That monster was going to kill him too. She had to find him, to warn him it was coming back. But she couldn't because she was dead. So where was he? In his own woods, seeing his own floating woman? Her woman was right in front of her now. A cool breeze seemed to emanate from her body, fluttering over Lori's face. The woman didn't speak. Instead, she held out her hand, palm up. Without thinking, Lori lifted her own dirty, bloody hand, gently intertwined her fingers with this ghost woman's. And she now felt the distinct sensation of falling. That stomach dropping, twisting and turning feeling before she came to a stop with a jolt. She was back in the car sitting next to Blake. Lori took a deep, shuddering breath in, her eyes darting all around, but the monster was gone. Just her and Blake. Her hand on her arm, uh, his hand on her arm shaking her, he looked terrified. Jesus Christ, Lori, are you okay? Like blacked out for a bit. I, I did? Yeah, 
He said, eyeing her over with concern. What happened? I had to slam on the brakes. A doe ran out into the wood with his babies. I stopped so you could look. I thought you might want to see him. But you just froze up. You were staring out the window. Then all of a sudden, you screamed at me to drive. I've been trying to talk to you for the past minute. Are you okay? Lori was so confused. Did she just imagine all that? Her heart still raced with fear. Her arms stung from gravel and monster's claws, but no blood. It certainly felt real. But it was like she'd fallen into another world, then fallen back into this world. She had to have been dreaming, right? Everything was peaceful around them now. The road perfectly clear. The stars still glittered in the sky. No red eyes shining in the darkness. You're tired, she thought. You're stressed. A bombardment of logical explanations entered her mind, but none of them felt right to explain what had just happened. She'd tell Blake some other time, but not right now. Right now, no matter how peaceful it felt for the moment, she really wanted to leave this place. Then she heard what sounded like a faint scream in the distance. Barely loud enough to hear a woman's scream. She thought she saw a look of recognition on Blake's face that suggested he might have heard it too. But she chose not to ask him. I'm just tired, she said. Let's go home. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you believe me? You know what? With the weird blacking out yeah. and just going away. Yeah. Something that you've never done before. And I'm assuming that she had never done before. Mm-hmm. I would think that something really fucking weird just went on. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because that's an interesting, like, uh, even though he didn't see anything, it's like, a, what a weird trance for her to suddenly fall into out of nowhere. You know, no drugs. They just came from his parents' house. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm guessing no prior history of anything like that. Probably not. That would be... And then, and then that little scream at the end that they talked about it. And yeah. if he did hear that too, and she heard it with all that and stories of the area. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably think something happened. Little glitch in the matrix, maybe. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Because how? How is it possible that, like, he didn't see any of that? Who knows? It's like a weird, like, uh, men in black kind of thing. <laughs> right, right. That's like, true. That With, uh, yeah, in UFO lore, there's all those um, talks of, like, uh, car stalling, those kind of things, which didn't happen there, but um, loss of time. Mm-hmm. But odd for one person to experience loss of time. That's what I mean. It's like it's like they men in blacked him, but not her. <laughs> right. It's like it didn't work right. on her. Like this yep. thing happened. Sorry, I was thinking of the actual like lore around the um, supposedly real, you know, men in black. And, yeah. then, and then I just, I caught the movie reference. Yes. They <laughs> did the little memory Doop. wipe. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Man, that's weird. Mm-hmm. And I thought for sure uh, that last part with the the white the white floaty woman, yeah, and then the sensation is falling. I was like, oh my god, you're experiencing being hung because the women were hung. Oh, because she said she felt, and then she snapped too. E, I didn't so, even think of that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So like clearly, like trying to like share. I think that the the ghost, I don't know what the beast was. I mean, probably symbolic of the brother or like I don't know some other entity altogether. Mm-hmm. But the woman, clearly, if we're going to dive into this, yeah. one of the seven sisters, and they were all hung on the hills, yeah. and they were all lured out into the forest mm-hmm. by their brother. So, like, a weird... I feel like that ghosty thing saved her, but not without... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, it came at a cost of, like, I'm going to transfer my pain to you or something. Right, yeah. My fear. Yee. You want to see some pictures? Yeah, I do. Uh, this for and, and also just because uh, to save emails from coming in, I remember I did this early on in Time Suck, and I got so many emails. Uh, when it's a person, it's hanged. 
Oh, it is hanged. Yeah. I, it's, I always forget. It's such a weird little Americanism. I know. It is. It is because <laughs> it's like a we do everything else different for past tense. Yeah. You know, that's, that doesn't follow the rules. Yeah, that's, that's a really odd example, actually, of like, I don't know where that started. Yeah. But how, that, how you'd say same word. Mm-hmm. And if something's on a wall, it's been hung on a wall. Mm-hmm. Piece of art, but if it's a person, They've been it's hanged. hanged. I know. I don't know where that... I can't remember where that the root of that comes from, yeah. but I remember I I uh, said that over and over in a um, Western. I was just gonna say, was it like a Jesse James? Oh, yeah. kind of? It was like Billy the Kid, I think, in so many emails, which is good. I learned. Yeah, but, uh, but now you know. <laughs> now I, yeah, I never heard that. Now before. you know. Uh, this first picture is this, just a stretch of Seven Sisters Road, that L Road. It doesn't even look that bad. I mean, during the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just very, and it is like very non I mean, I reference him like taking it to go straight into town. It actually wouldn't go straight into town, but I'm guessing he just said like avoiding towns and cuts up. But it's just like this little like, you know, like there's just an alphabet series of these mm. little farm roads that just divide these old homesteads. Right. And it's uh, it's more almost like more like an extended driveway than a home. Mm. Uh, this next one is the old Warden Family Cemetery, and that's that current owner, you know, Becky. Uh, what does I say? Strum. Strum. Yeah. Strum. Just Strum. checking out, checking out the uh, one of the family tombstones. Would you buy land that had another family's tombstone on it? Yeah, I would because I like uh, like the old like the Wilson. You know, I talk about my buddy Kyle Wilson. His yeah. parents lived on a large piece of land at Race Creek outside of uh, Riggins. Yeah, and there was a family cemetery on the grounds. It's pretty common for like homesteaders because they were you know living out in a uh, random farmland and they didn't have local cemeteries yet. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times they would and they had lots of land and they would just have a family cemetery. No, I, I understand how a family cemetery happens. Oh, I'm saying I wouldn't buy really? land. No. Hmm. You're gonna live amongst dead bodies. Oh, everywhere is full of dead bodies. Go back far enough. Not under our house. We don't know that. I do know that. <laughs> uh, in fact, I do. Idaho's <laughs> quite young in terms of established states. Indigenous. The tribe's been here. Yep. Yeah, they be... they weren't there. There were. No, they were. No, they didn't like our street. <laughs> they loved our street. We're probably living <laughs> on a burial ground. Uh, uh, I know I've been seeing a lot of shadows in the house lately. <laughs> oh man, I know. I saw one. Remember, I talked about it last week, and now mm-hmm. I saw another one. I'm like, God damn it! I gotta, gotta cleanse the house. We gotta have a little chat with whoever's there. Time to go. Time to get out. I don't like it. GTFO. Uh, GTFO. And this last picture, just a little field near the old uh, Warden Farm. Just kind of, kind of could be, could be spooky at night. Thinking the little branches coming mm-hmm. down. I know farms are scary. Yeah, and and there is like I looked at like a what. Uh, Thank God for Google Maps, but it's like Google mapping the area and zooming down there. And uh, yeah, and I think I understood when they were talking about the woods, there's like, you know, mostly farmland, Mm -hmm. but then just stretches around like irrigation canals and stuff. And just, I'm guessing area that was too rocky and just uh, hilly to be easily farmed. Okay. And they would leave that wooded. So there are little like small patches of woods intermingled throughout the uh, cornfields. I see. I see. Thank you for that. Google Maps is fascinating. It is. I, like, I feel like a spy. I know. I'm like, ooh, what's going on here? And it's kind of creepy though, too. Mm-hmm. But you know, I can pretend this live. That oh. I, that I'm like, that I have like some kind of God view of Earth, and I can just zoom in on people's towns, and houses. I feel like on Apple Maps, there's a new, but it's not live. It's just Street yeah. View, right? Yeah, ju- yeah, just Street View. Yeah, because that would be. They'd have to have cameras. <laughs> well, there are cameras everywhere. everywhere. Yeah, and be tapped into them and streaming through like some insane server that is not even. That we don't have anything that powerful. Never glitches. Yeah, yeah, be crazy. Oh my god! Oh my god! What's your squishy this week? Uh, he's a uh, he's some little kind of raccoon maybe guy. I don't know. Is he from Fruit Ninja? He might be. I could. I could. I don't know Fruit Ninja well enough. I looked at some images and he didn't pop up. 
Nothing looked like him, but he, he looks like a little Fruit Ninja guy. I didn't know what Fruit Ninja might was. Might be a fox. I don't know. Oh, what does the fox say? You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> your mom taught me about Fruit Ninja. Funny. My mom plays uh, Fruit Ninja. Well, she used to. I don't know if it's cool anymore. I don't think my mom cares about what's cool. <laughs> I just, let me say, I don't know if it's popular because I it. think that she gets, you know, roped into like, oh, do you know what this is? Mm-hmm, and she mm-hmm. gets really excited about herself. Oh, playing a little game is funny. Oh, man. Oh, man. Okay. So I'm excited. I haven't had a story with uh, a picture in a while. So mm. that's fun. So stay tuned after this story to see a picture about what I'm talking about. Uh, I This was so weird. This guy, he goes on a hike. And he comes into a clearing full of crosses, not like one or two, but like 20 and not just regular old crosses. They're like dressed up. They have like clothes on them. Oh, right. That's creepy. I know. Clothes edition. Whenever I get an email with a picture, I immediately like scroll down to the the picture (laughs) first. I'm like, okay, that's creepy. Let's read the story. (laughs) Yeah. I I get get it. Yeah. When I saw that, I was like, what in the hell? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So very interesting, and uh, yeah, I mean, this would this would freak me out. I mean, if you came across came upon a clearing like that, yeah. would you turn around and go back, or would you hike on through? Oh man, depends on the mood I'm in. Depends on how adventurous I'm feeling. Okay, that's kind of how I feel like that's how this guy said he felt. Okay, okay, let's let's hear his story. I'm an outdoorsman with three years of experience working for the National Park Service and 18 years of memories exploring the backwoods of rural North Carolina. I live in a city now, but I haven't lost the confidence that 20 plus years of being outside brings you. I've climbed mountains with jaw-dropping exposure in Colorado, encountered wolves while solo hiking in Wyoming, and came face to face with a grizzly bear in Glacier National Park. Holy shit, that's amazing. You did too. No, I did. Oh, that was, no, that was Yellowstone. It was a little black bear. Oh. And I wasn't face to face, thank God. It was, uh, was I turned my back on it. Well. It's pretty close. I was <laughs> yeah. trying to give you some street cred, man. Oh, man. I wish I had a story. Well, no, I don't. No, you don't. No. Uh, <laughs> and uh, encountered off-putting people in the mountains of North Carolina and Washington State. And I've heard loud rustling outside my tent at three in the morning, but I have never felt uncomfortable outdoors. As long as I maintained my composure and prepared thoroughly, I knew I could manage any situation. On the morning of the 5th of July, 2021, I felt no differently. I'd made plans with my girlfriend to go hiking, but after a long weekend, she decided to stay home. I packed my bag, made sure I had everything, grabbed my dog, and then set out on the road to central New Hampshire for an easy day hike. I was going to climb up a small mountain and traverse a ridge before coming down and circling back to my car. When I arrived at the trailhead, nothing felt out of place. I quickly got out of my car and started making my way up the trail. The day was beautiful. The air was warm and breezy. The sky was bright with blue, bright blue with large cotton ball clouds. And there wasn't any inclement weather in the forecast for the next few days. No more than five minutes into my hike, I stepped out into a clearing in the forest. In this field, there were about 20 crosses dressed in old clothes. I made my way forward and looked at these rough-shot scarecrows. Some were dressed in old hats, and others wore wigs made out of what appeared to be woven grass and moss. In hindsight, I felt uncomfortable and should have turned around then, but I took some pictures and decided to keep going. Maybe it was the weather or the two-hour drive to even get there that kept me going. The next hour or so of my hike went smoothly. The trail was shaded and offered some great views of the surrounding mountains and lakes, and my dog was busy enjoying all the great smells that you can find that you can't find in a city. <laughs> As I reached the crest of the ridge, I noticed a small old cemetery tucked off in the woods. Nothing too out of the ordinary, people had been homesteading these parts for hundreds of years. 
I kept going forward and and lost myself in thought, thinking about old friends and happy memories. Something broke that line of thought abruptly, and I found myself frozen in place. An icy feeling washed over me, and my dog bristled with agitation. My dog stared off into the woods and began growling. Whatever she was growling at must have been moving as she circled me while keeping her eyes deadlocked on the forest ahead. I tried to listen for any crunching leaves, but the world felt silent except for the growl of my pup. In this moment, there was no breeze, no birds, no nothing. I came to and decided I needed to turn around immediately. I started making my way down the trail as quickly as possible, thinking about whatever I had encountered at the top of the ridge. I didn't want to dwell on it long since it was one of those few times I've ever felt uncomfortable in the woods. I wasted no time in getting down off the ridge. Just a short, just short of a half mile from the trailhead, I felt a chilling touch, followed by a forceful shove. I went flying forward, smashing my phone and scraping myself up. I stood up to see no one behind me. A feeling of intense fear rushed over me, and I took off, running to my car with my dog. Blowing by the scarecrows, I didn't stop until I got to my car and only stayed long enough to throw my bag in the back seat and make sure my dog was secure. I peeled out of the parking lot of the trailhead and started blasting music to distract myself from what had happened. I'm not very superstitious, and I've tried to rationalize it to myself to no avail. Something was in the woods with me that day, but I never saw it. Still, I could feel its presence everywhere around me. Whatever was out there did not want me around. Yeek. Yeah. Actually, actually feeling getting pushed. I know. Is uh, creepy. And then just like, uh, yeah, I, I was just racking my brain trying to think of like, why would someone put clothes on all those? And that's a lot of crosses. That's the thing. It's not like just like one, right? Yeah. Sometimes, you know, when there's an accident, let's say like on the side of a highway, there'll yeah. be one, two, three crosses, something like that. But something about the combination of the crosses and the old homestead grave. Right. I'm like, yes. Like you were saying before, people have been homesteading forever. Mm-hmm. There's graves everywhere. Okay. That alone. Maybe not so creepy because yeah. it just feels yeah, yeah, yeah. like it belongs there. But these crosses, we're going to look at them. They're oh. like new. It's not, it, they don't feel, in my opinion, they don't feel old. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Joe, you want to pop picture. that picture up there? Yeah, I, I, that's so That's, that's so, so weird. fucking creepy. That's not someone drying laundry. That's not, it's just, and there's like that one way out there. And what, like, I don't know. I don't know. It feels symbolic of something i know it looks like it's like some kind of ritual or something i know i'm I'm like what or 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 it's like somebody who is seriously mentally ill but it's like but that's a very weirdly specific thing to do because it's like it's not close to like road or anything from what he said it's he talked about like a couple hours yeah so it's a little ways out there so who would carry all that shit out there Mm -hmm. and assemble that just randomly i know or, or for a joke Ah, uh, it feels very intentional. And, I know. And, uh, yeah, I mean, God, yeah, that's so that's so odd. I've never seen anything like that. Me and, and I love that he sent a pic. Yeah, because I feel like without the photo, it doesn't carry the same weight. True, I, w- I would have read the story and been like, okay, sure, creepy. Yeah. But, like, seeing it, seeing is believing. Yeah, but, yeah. Can I we mean, see that picture again, Joe? That is such an odd setup. And is that... Okay, because some of them are clearly T-shirts. Mm-hmm. Is that one, it's, like, from uh, on our side, like... Off to the left. Is that one like a dress? Maybe on the left, uh, like the far uh, first row, first in from first closest row to us. Yeah, where Joe's little uh, cursor is. Oh, I think that's just like a very big T-shirt. Oh, okay. But he did say that some. I mean, we can't see it here, but he said some of them had wigs. What? I mean, it's just so specific, and he said that a lot of it was made of like uh, grass. Like it's not. What did he say? 
Yeah, uh, uh, I looked at these rough-shot scarecrows. Some were dressed in old hats, and other wore wigs made of made out of what appeared to be woven grass and moss. So it's like, I mean, that's a lot of time. That's a lot of time, and like you know, you would only actually use a real scarecrow to keep uh, birds away from crops. Right, and, and that's clearly not a crop. No, this is not like a at all. They're not growing anything there. Uh-uh. That that's like a tribute ritual. That's uh, that's something that's super weird. It's well, something. A, a scarecrow scares away animals. This guy right. just wanted to scare away people. <laughs> right, he's, right. He's like, he's like, you know what? I live up here, and I want to scare hikers, so they never come back here again. Mission accomplished. Yeah, yeah no shit. <laughs> and the, I, I don't. I like in my mind, I decided to connect the grave and the crosses. Where I was like, okay, is yeah. it like some tribute to that family? Like, were there mm-hmm. maybe there weren't enough graves, and somebody did the re- like maybe there are two isolated things maybe like somebody put up the crosses for their family something else and then somebody else came along was like do you know what would be so creepy if Mm. we put clothes on these Uh, imagine seeing that at night whoa well i would never go for a hike at night no i know but i'm just like if for whatever reason because if you were camping what if you were camping and you walked out of the bathroom and you saw that Uh, that would be man i would leave well, if it was in the middle of the night, we might stay tight, but we would be we would be in the tent. Uh, I think the safety might be off the nine millimeter. Okay, might be just like just at the ready. Okay, to blast some monster. Okay, not I like that, it. that would necessarily help us. That that feels good. I feel um, safe. When he was talking about his dog getting all the country sniffs, I used to, I had to think of Gigi. Of course, he did. I had made my little note about country dog. I love it when our dogs uh, become country dogs, as I we know. call them. Oh, it's so cute. And Gigi especially, it's like she could not be more jacked. About all the fresh sniffs. Mm-hmm. You can see her little nose twitching as she just runs all over the place. I know. And then I love how dogs get like, after a couple hours of that, so exhausted. Well, it's, a, it's overwhelming to their little um, yeah. senses. It's like, it's all, just, yeah, it just wears them out just to get so many sniffs. Yeah. That's cute. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Gigi. Dee dee. <laughs> all right. So, you know, I think we've talked about this one million times. Yeah. Spirits living in your house. If mm-hmm. they feel not scary... You think you would stay with them. Yeah. And you don't think that you would ask them to leave. Like you would just like coexist with them. I don't know. It's all about gut, gut feel. Maybe mm. maybe not. Okay. Maybe, maybe not ask them to leave. Okay. Well, you know me. I'm like all of them got a GTFO. They can't stay. But, they then, like, but then like Joe brought up a while back, like what if, you know, it's like some little kid spirits. They're just like, it's a decent. Tough. Wow. Yikes. Listen, it's not my problem. <laughs> I, I can't change it. They're already dead. I can't make it better for them. I don't. I don't think that spirits can feel better about things. How I just do you know? Spit on myself. Um, I just. That's just what I think. Okay. Because do they really? Do, they, do ghosts? Who knows? Do spirits have we don't know. We don't feelings? Know we don't know. No one I knows. Don't know. I, I don't know. Well, let's find out what's going on in this household, where there's definitely something. They definitely know it's there. Mm-hmm. Everybody is into it except for the mom, and then mm. it escalates into something else entirely. Okay. And it, it might give a little credit to you. Like, okay. okay, well, maybe maybe you should keep them around. Maybe they'll keep you safe. Ah. Uh-huh. Be protective. Mm-hmm, I know, and which I hadn't really considered. Oh, well, guardian spirits. Maybe. Guardians of the galaxy. Hmm. That's a different guardian. <laughs> <laughs> I was born in 1998, which, by the way, makes me feel so old, and grew up in Minnesota in a 1950s Rambler. My sister and I always shared a room, my brother in the room to my right, and my parents to the room to the left. My parents worked in the trades, and my siblings and I went to public school. We were extremely normal. 
The only kind of seasoning in the family is that we have grandparents that are actual hippies. Like they believe in aliens and everything paranormal. And Love in, it. And in fact, my grandma was actually the one to tell me about the Scared to Death podcast. <laughs> Isn't that great? Thank you, Grandma. We love you. Thanks, Graham. I first remember seeing the two ghosts of our house when I was very little, maybe four or five. I woke up to go to the bathroom, and on my way back to my room, I saw two kids run past me in the hallway. Afraid, I ran to my parents' room to sleep with them. The next morning, I explained to my dad why I was sleeping in their room, and my dad proceeded to tell me about the two kids that lived in our house with us. My dad said that if I was nice to the kids and shared with them and played with them, they would be my friend. They are only kids after all, he said. From the way he talked about them, it was almost like something you tell your kids to explain something else with the hopes that they might understand the truth when they grew up, almost like Santa Claus. My mother, on the other hand, was extremely religious and did not believe in ghosts at all. She believed that all spirits either went to heaven or hell. They did not just hang around. She was always the skeptic on everything. The paranormal activity in our house was always happening, so it wasn't something we were ever worried about. It was simply part of our life. It was usually small stuff that you could explain away. Cabinet doors opening on their own, the house creaking in an unusual manner, the dog only ever sleeping in the kitchen with a light on, faint laughter from the laundry chute, and the sound of bedroom doors creeping open without a door actually opening. My sister talked to the children in her sleep, but even that didn't seem abnormal to us. We were used to it all. One night was different, though. My sister used to sleepwalk and have night terrors, making me a very light sleeper. One of these nights, I woke up to the sound of my sister quietly crying. Thinking she'd had a nightmare, I jumped over to her twin bed to see if I could comfort her. She looked at me with absolute terror on her face, and then she lifted a shaking hand and pointed to the corner between two windows. Immediately, I knew that something was different than her usual night terror. I looked to where she was pointing. A shadowed figure that was so tall it had to hunch over to fit in our room. It was very gaunt, so much so that you could see the knobs on its joints. It had abnormally long arms that almost touched the floor, gigantic hands with finger joints bent in the wrong direction. Its eyes and mouth were open, and they were darker than anything I had ever seen. I quickly I quickly and quietly moved to in front of my sister so as to protect her, the figure's attention then shifting to me. Somehow it had frozen me in place. I couldn't talk, I couldn't move, and I could hardly breathe. My sister was crying with her face pressed into my back. I was so terrified and I couldn't do a thing. The thing started to move closer to me. It moved jerkily and wobbled like it was walking for the first time. It inched closer to us, a heavy darkness following it, encasing the room in an impenetrable darkness. It got close enough that I could feel its ice-cold breath on my face. My sister had thrown up all over my back and her face but because she was so scared, but she wouldn't remove her face from my back. The thing lifted a warped, bony hand to my face and leaned its face close into mine. A sound came out of its mouth that sounded like nothing I had ever heard before. I felt like a statue, though. I felt like I should have been shaking. My sister, on the other hand, was shaking so hard I thought the bed would break. Mm. The next thing I knew, the kids were in my room, staring at the thing, breaking its spell on me. I immediately wet myself and gasped for breath. The kids then began to talk to the thing, asking it who it was. The thing made that bizarre sound again. And the kids then began to grow bigger and darker, which somehow made the creepy thing disappear. I had been looking back and forth between the kids and the thing, watching some kind of paranormal showdown. When I looked back at where the kids were, there was suddenly nothing. 
My sister and I were terrified and confused. The next morning, our mom found us in bed together, still covered in vomit. We had we must have passed out. She freaked out and thought that my sister had gotten super sick in the night. We didn't tell my mom what we saw that night. We didn't even discuss it between ourselves. That night was the only night that I experienced anything that I truly believe is evil. That's wild. Not weird. It's so it's so cool. I mean, yeah, it can be scary, you know, too. But like, like so cool to think about this possibility of there being so many different things out on some other plane next to ours, or out, you know, life after death, whatever, you, whatever it is. Sure. But I, but I just love that thought. That there could be like ghosts and uh, monsters, and maybe like other things that are good, but that are not cute of, little kids that keep you safe. Mm, cute little kids that keep you safe, but things of not necessarily human origin. Yeah. Just like a variety of just like creatures or things. I don't know entities. I find it's exciting. I find it not exciting. <laughs> I just like thinking that there's so many different animals on this planet. What if there's all these other uh, reminds me of like uh, Lovecraft, like his his kind mm. of like uh, celestial or I think they like horror or whatever. But like there's just like these beings, so many different beings, space beings out there, things out in the universe. I just don't really care for it because it feels like the vast majority of them want to cause us harm. It feels like more mm. often than not, I and mean, I don't know, maybe that's just what we focus on here, yeah. but it feels as though more often than not, it's something that wants to get you as opposed to like, oh, look at that cute bear. Look at that puppy dog. I mean, it, nothing mm. feels yeah. like warm and light and fluffy and, oh, I want one of those. It feels mm. like, get the fuck away from me. Get out of here. Yeah, I don't know. So I don't, I don't really care for all the variety of options that I might be <laughs> GTFOing out of my house. Oh, okay, fair. And I, I've been noticing lately, I don't know if it's just been like on my mind or I don't know, but in a lot of the stories recently, they're like, it's, it was blacker than black. It was darker than dark. They had no eyes. They had no mouth, but it was just these deep black holes. Mm -hmm. Is that more terrifying or is glowing eyes and fangs more terrifying? Hmm. I I don't know. It's a toss up, but I, but I, but I want to say uh, just... That extreme darkness mm -hmm. is more terrifying because it uh, allows for, like, you don't know exactly what it is. Yeah, like the void. Mm -hmm. Ugh, the absence of something yeah. is just so much scarier than something tangible. Yeah. Oh, God. Imagine waking up to that. Oh, thanks. But maybe a reason to keep the thing in our house. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel scary. Okay. Like, it doesn't feel malevolent. It scares me because I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, what's that? But I'm still going to, I'm going to ask it to go. <laughs> okay. Just, you know, I think it's a good idea. Ask it to come say hi to me. So Dan wants an encounter. Well, if you would sit down and do like a session with me. What do you mean session? Are well, you some kind of weird doctor now? <laughs> no, but just like sit down and like let me like call in the energy. You could communicate with it and see if you believe it. All right. And see if it kind of gives you what you want. We have some kid-free nights coming up. Okay. Let's get weird. Let's get weird. Oh, boy. But the last time I did some pendulum work with you, you were like, I don't know. I think your elbow's moving. True. Yeah. But, so but you I'm, have to leave that attitude at the door. Oh, okay. You can be skeptical, but you can just not be an asshole. <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? You have to keep it in your head. Otherwise, you just change the energy of the room, and then, like, what's the whole point? All right. Okay, I don't think this is going to go well. <laughs> okay, our last story of the year. La yeah, it is. Last story of the year. Last story of 2021. And uh, it's so interesting. So I, I mentioned before that we're going to a mental hospital, an abandoned mental hospital. Oh, yeah, but it was a part of a planned tour with, what do you say, like the National, National Guard? Guard? Yeah, like a training, yeah. a staged mm. training uh, because, you know, they go in there. I mean, the 
writer sets it up for us. But, you know, they do like these mock trainings like, okay, hey, when this right. disaster happens, a tornado. Right. We're going to have to go in. We're going to have to kill all these mental patients. And you're going to have to clear out the rooms oh. and you're going to have to like check. And, you know, so how does it work? And what and what does that feel like in a, yeah. a real moment? So yeah. I never thought about simulations that way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't need, yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. I mean, totally. Creepily. Mm-hmm. Or, or, I, I didn't think about it in that, in that uh, context of uh, that kind of building. Right. Right. Yeah. Because we've only gone to mental hospitals uh, like like ghost hunting. Yeah. Or yeah, like yeah. kids like abandoned, breaking in. Abandoned places. Yeah. yeah but mm-hmm. not like set up. In, yep. Intended to go there with uh, a different purpose than ghost hunting. True. Uh, the one that made this just made me think about when Kyler was going to school at the Libby Center in downtown, well, almost downtown Spokane, mm-hmm. there that area mm-hmm. is rough. Yeah. And there was this one house, and I always thought, like, God, that house looks particularly bad. <laughs> there were several really rough, but yeah. Yeah, but there was one that really just, mm-hmm. I don't know, stressed mm-hmm. me out. And I found out later from a classmate's parent of Monroe's that the SWAT team, that's where they would do, ah. they would go with their battering rams and practice like, oh yeah, of course like the National Guard does that, the fire department does that. Like yeah, if yeah, that's a why controlled I the fire department. burn yeah. or, yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyways, well, let's cool. uh, let's check out this mental hospital. Let's do it. Let's check you in. Okay. Okay. <laughs> hey, Dan and Lindsay. I've been contemplating for a while now as to if I should tell my story and after hearing all the other scary stories from other listeners, I decided now is probably the best time. My job is to work with different National Guards around the country and help them train for catastrophic events like tornadoes, train wrecks, bombings, etc. Anything that may cause the Guard to be called in. It's a great job and we have lots of memorable encounters with the soldiers. This encounter was much more memorable for me and not a memory I would wish on someone else. We were called to work with a certain National Guard and when we arrived we were informed that this would be a bombing exercise. The soldiers would be learning to clear buildings, assist injured people, and work with deceased people, actors portraying this, and train with cadaver dogs as well as search and rescue dogs. My team and I began to prepare for the drills, and we got word on where the exercise would take place. This state's National Guard likes to make things as realistic as possible, and they chose to work from an abandoned mental hospital. This specific location is pretty well known in the area, and there had been a lot of speculation about if it was haunted or not. Me being a creep and not getting scared very easily, I found the location cool Mm -hmm. and not at all scary. We drove to the site, and as we stood outside the doors of the massive hospital, I looked up and a shiver went down my spine. It definitely had a very spooky vibe to it, but I brushed it off, chalked it up to just reading too many stories about the hospital. We divided up into teams and went to meet our team leaders for directions. I was on Team Delta, and we were assigned to the basement. The captain that was with the National Guard was standing by the entrance as we walked in, and he handed us a map of the facility as well as a flashlight. He told us that the maps were for if we got lost or if the flashlights... And the flashlights were because most of the lights didn't work in the building. Our manager then said that she would set off a loud flashbang to alert us that the drill had begun. I entered the hospital, and the chill in the air was almost in, in oh my god, I can't say this word, incapacitating. I immediately regretted my outfit of old shorts and a thin, long-sleeved t-shirt. Goosebumps formed on every inch of my body. The aura of the old hospital got 1,000 times darker. Things looked as if people who worked there had just up and left. Files, chairs, mm. typewriters... Coffee machines, office supplies, clothing, and even telephones laid where they would normally be in a functioning facility. 
finding our way to the basement steps, and my friend Rachel made our way down to the West Wing. Our team leader told her to camp out near the staircase so the soldiers would find her first and asked me to travel further down and make it a little bit harder for them to find me since the training was really trying to make sure that they cleared the whole building and looked everywhere they could possibly look. Rachel found a dusty chair with a small table attached to it and quickly sat down, grabbing her card to memorize her ailments to tell the soldiers once they found her. (laughs) See, some of us had injuries that the soldiers would have to work through and make sure they get us to safety quickly and alive. I clutched my card in my hand and turned to head down the hall. A couple hundred feet away, I found a door that looked promising. I looked over my shoulder and saw Rachel sitting in her chair. Stepping into the room, I saw that it was clearly an old examination room. An old, high-backed wheelchair was parked in the middle of the room, and the whole room was tiled with a drain at the center of the room right in front of the wheelchair. An old tray with examination equipment sat on the counter by the wheelchair. To my left, in the middle of the wall, was another door, and thinking about how I needed to make this a little bit challenging, I opened the door and pushed my way inside. I thought it would be impossible for the building to get any more cold than it was, Yet here I was in a room about the temperature of a freezer. Out of habit, I flipped the light switch on the wall, and to my surprise, a small light on the wall flickered on. It wasn't bright by any means, but it was enough for me to be able to see three feet in front of me. I flipped on my flashlight and got a look around the room. Operation room. In the middle of the room, close to another drain, stood a large metal table. It was surrounded by metal tools and cabinets hung on the walls. A fabric partition ripped to shreds leaned against the wall near the head of the table just beside the old sink. I picked a good spot, one where I was in the shadows but could still see the door, and leaned back against the wall. I sat there for what seemed like forever, waiting to hear the flashbang, but it never came. I was exhausted from making the six-hour drive to the state where we were working and having to be on location at 5 a.m. I leaned my head back against the wall and closed my eyes, content to just keep waiting. And that's when I heard it. A metal clanging in the room just outside my door. My eyes flew open. Rachel? I called out, hoping she would pop her head into the room where I sat. Nothing. Rachel! I yelled a little bit louder. Nothing. I stood up and walked to the door, pulling it open to allow me a larger view of the room. It was completely empty and looked untouched. I turned around and walked back to my spot, and I remembered thinking, oh, maybe it was just the flashbang. I was just about to sit back in my spot when I heard the noise again. I spun around and kept my eyes glued to the door. Being only six feet away from the door, something in my body told me to run, but I couldn't. It was as if someone glued my shoes to the floor. I stood as quietly as I could possibly muster, and that's when it happened. In the dark of the room outside of mine, I first heard the the footsteps. Slow, heavy footsteps. Blood was pounding through my ears, but I refused to make a noise. Then I watched a dark, human shadow walk ever so slowly past the door that I had just pushed wide open. My breath was completely stopped. And at this point in time, my entire body went rigid and my mind just kept screaming, Oh, fuck no. The dark figure almost passed the door completely, but before it did, it stopped. Standing for a split second, facing the way it was walking, then it turned to face me. A slow churn of, of its head at first, and then its body followed. It clearly saw me, and I don't think it was liking that I was there. Before my brain could process anything, the shadow person leapt at me. Ugh. 
At this point in time, my whole body suddenly began to work. I screamed and jerked backwards, falling into the metal stool and my forearm slicing open on something sharp from the operation table. When I hit the ground, I gripped my arm in pain. I could feel the blood beginning to rise to the surface of the cut. I kept my eyes shut tightly as I scooted back to my spot. When I stopped moving, I noticed that there was no more sound in the room. It was deafeningly quiet. I rested my head back again, slowly releasing the grip on my arm until it was just in my lap. I prayed to find the courage to leave the room and find Rachel. I sat with my eyes still closed, focusing on my breath when I heard, Hey, you okay in there? My eyes popped open and I looked at the door to see Rachel. Standing there, I looked around the room frantically and jumped to my feet. Did you hear me screaming? I asked her, not really sure where to begin or what to say. No, I don't think I could have heard you from where you were at. We were too far apart. I looked at her strangely. I just went down the hall a couple hundred feet. I responded. No, you didn't. You went all the way down and then around another corridor. Are you okay? You look like you're in pain. My head spun with everything she was telling me. I didn't even know how to form words. I must have fallen asleep and I had the worst dream. I also don't remember walking that far away from you. Without paying my first statement much attention, she said, Well, they're having technical difficulties and we have a delay. They want us to come back up for a regroup with the rest of the teams. She started walking and I followed her, my mind completely forgetting about my arm and telling my brain to chalk it up to a horrible dream. We walked up the basement stairs and through the hospital. When we hit daylight, I was so relieved. The warmth on my skin was amazing and I just stood there, arms by my side and head tilted back, letting the sun warm me up. I felt safe and calm, feeling like my experience was a nightmare and it was behind me. Until I heard my manager come up behind me and say, hey man, you're bleeding, what happened? She pulled my wrist to my shoulder so I could see my forearm. There on my arm was a cut and blood coming from the cut. My sleeve split open to reveal the injury. Two years later, I live with a scar on my forearm. Whenever people ask me how I got it, I simply tell them I fell while working, nervous to say who or what gave it to me. I've gone to therapy for PTSD after this occurrence. I suffered from insomnia and my anxiety shot through the roof. I had to take a leave of absence from my job as well, not feeling like I was stable enough to travel so much or even pretend to be in one of those disastrous situations. Every little thing made me jump for months after it happened. Finally, I'm back to my normal self, but much more sensitive to the paranormal yeah, if uh, if it wasn't for the scar, the you know actually having like a physical mm-hmm. uh, proof of it, I was going to say it reminded me in some ways of the, my second story, where it's like two people are down there oh, yeah. and, and one person saying like, "What you didn't hear me scream or something like that?" Like they might have went into a trance or something, mm-hmm. but then they did come back with the physical injury, yeah, which uh, matched up with what they felt while they were in this seeing these things, yeah, seeing this dark entity, yeah, so Creepy. weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I the thing that threw me the most was that like this person, you know, Rachel's sitting here and this person thinks that they're like there. Like right. they and said like I went in that room and they I they distinctly call it out like I looked back and I could still see Rachel. Yeah. But then yeah. Rachel comes to find them like where are you? Like why are you so far away from us? What it's like what? How right. did I get There are two there? interpretations of like what actually happened in that physical space were so different. Well, yeah, and I mean they just weren't like, if you were walking down, like, just think about the building that we're in. If you yeah. were at the door that we walk in, yep. and I I sat there and you walked to this end, you mm-hmm. could see me. Yep. You would look back, you'd see me, i see you, we wave at each other. Right. But then later I come to find you and you're on the other side of the building. How the fuck did you get there? 
And why right. was the last thing that you remember looking back and be like, oh yeah, there's Lindsay. Yeah. What? Mm-hmm. How, like, what, did you teleport? I don't understand. How did yeah. you get there? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, lo- I love like to collect collectively all these stories, you know, people's sense of like time, space, everything like can get like bent mm-hmm. and, and move around and yeah, yeah. Ah, it is a crazy, crazy world. Exactly. And I know Weird, you love it. Weird, yep, mysterious world. It'd be you, so boring if it wasn't. I mean, there's plenty of things in this world to keep us interested, intrigued, mm-hmm. fascinated, busy. I'm good with that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Uh, I can go first. Okay, go for it. I'll thank some Annabelles. Uh, Thanks to the following Annabelles for supporting what we do here. Stephen Young, Jacob Huff, Marissa, Bailey Broom, Joy Henson, Allison Davis, uh, Ethan, possibly with an I, uh, uh, Salcedo, Maddie Margeson, Brett Kobe, Nicole Sheely, Elizabeth Wheeler, Matthew and Misty Sybil, Trey, Kiana, Martinick, Anili Garcia, uh, Corinne Wickwire, Space Lizard Britt, oh, thanks, Britt, uh, Aaron Kelch, Tanner Johnson, Hard Deep Gill, uh, Callie Luwaji, Elizabeth uh, Kushame, Scott Thompson, Thomas Smith, Matt Brady. I paused at Elizabeth because I thought it was, uh, I, I saw N where there was an H at first, and I thought it was Elizabeth Couch Name. <laughs> And I'm like, that is an interesting last name. <laughs> Hi, I'm Miss Couch Name. <laughs> shame. Oh, boy. <laughs> I would like to thank the following Annabelles for their support on this show. Jenna Augustine Atwater, Hillary Shagger, Heather Monday, Bailey Luallen, Matanda Richburg, Bitter, Tyler Bear, Ashley Krukoff, Sarah Sheck, Amelia Rebecca, Raven Gudermuth, Katie O'Donnell, Luna MC, Cheyenne Winchester, Thomas Hoffer, Tabor DeRoyne, Sarah Lewis, Sherry Kelly, Kevin and Brittany Fitzgerald, Johnny Stefani. Oh, man. Johnny Stefani. Johnny Stefani. Never, never gets used for that, ever. Oh, that's so great. I love it. Mm-hmm. Overlord Elmo, <laughs> William Ramirez, <laughs> Travis Mertens, Stephen Logan, Clayton Mitchell and Jess Rodriguez. I like um, Cheyenne Winchester. That sounds like a character in like Red Dead Redemption, or like yeah, like yeah. A, like old, old western. western. Mm-hmm. Like a, that, that'd be that'd be one of the stars of the western. Well, Cheyenne, you're a star. Cheyenne Winchester. Whose property is that? Cheyenne Winchester's. I think specifically it conjures mm-hmm. up that image because mm-hmm. we don't live that far from Cheyenne, Wyoming. We have family mm-hmm. there. And then also... We don't live wi- that far from Winchester, right? Winchester. And when you pull into Winchester... Maybe the creepiest little downtown of all time. It is the strangest thing. There's like uh, these like... There's maybe like five buildings downtown. And by buildings, I mean like one or two story buildings. And then... And a lot of random dogs walking around. Oh, yeah. And then from this building to this building on Main Street, there's like a pole and a pole and then a couple of wires hanging and then this big sign that says Winchester with a huge metal cutout of a gun. Mm-hmm. Huge. Is, huge. It was named after Winchester rifles. Sure. That's the story. That's the story for the town. Sure. Can I do my spoopy shout outs? Get, get to spooping. Okay. To Jordan, Madeline, and Mackenzie from your mom, Meg, I love you and happy collective bladed birthdays. To Stryker from Marissa, I love you. To Joseph from Shelby, happy bladed 33rd birthday. To Rue and 
I'm sorry, to Rue from Bug and Boo Boo. <laughs> Happy belated birthday. It must be some family nicknames. Rue, Bug, and Boo Boo. <laughs> That's a lot. To Pablo, Lincoln, and Elena from your mom, Tiffany. Love you, my little minions. To Heather from Jason, I love you. And a special shout out for you, Dan. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Uh, from our neighbor Brian, who I have apparently not met, uh, I'd like to give oh. a shout out to my neighbor Dan for launching Nerf balls into my yard. I've been subsidizing my income by auctioning oh, authentic pff. Dan's <laughs> Cummins used Nerf balls on eBay. Uh, I've had a real boost in sales since you mentioned them on your podcast in early November. There's no way that's our actual neighbor. That's hilarious because I've talked about that on uh, Is We Dumb. On Is We Dumb, uh, I, I didn't know where it came from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's because of the the dog Nerf balls that get shot into the back. Like sometimes they go over the fence. Yeah. And then those neighbors never give us them back. Oh. So that's referencing that's well played. Well played, okay. Brian. Good job, Brian. Uh, and that is our show. That's, that's our it. last show for 2021. That's it. It's over. That's it. That's it. Uh, I mean, kind of. For, until next year. Until next week. Uh, th- thanks for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. You can continue to email us for everything else. Info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thank you to Logan Keith, Liz Hernandez, for the work on social media, and to Logan again for running BadMagicMerch.com. Thanks to Joe Paisley for producing and directing today, per usual. Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation. Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails. And to book editor Drew Atana for helping format the listeners' stories each week. And thank you to producers, uh, actually just one, singular, Olivia Lee, for finding both of my stories today. Good job. Enjoy your nightmares, creeps, and peepers. Have a happy new year, singular. One new year. One new year, and hope you were scared to death. Bye! If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through, but has no home here within scared to death. Magic Productions. Imagine bold, naturally aged Tillamook cheddar slices melting over a burger, eating thick cut cheddar shreds straight from the bag. Ah, it's nice to dream about cheese for a bit. Tillamook cheddar, extraordinary dairy. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers.